Welcome to Time to Adapt, where we break down movies and the books behind them. I'm Selena Allen, and as always, Mac Schaefer is my co-host. <laughs> of course. How are you today, Mac? You know, it's been a really good Monday. That is good, because Mondays usually aren't. They usually suck, yeah, but today was just exceptionally well for me. Got you a shit ton what? of work done, so... You know what else is today? Shakespeare's birthday. No. Yes. Really? <laughs> so, continuing with our Shakespeare month, uh, I'm not sure if you guys will get this on his birthday, but today is the Great Bard's birthday, and we are going to be talking about his tragedies, because... You know, we already did the comedy. We already did the comedies. We didn't really plan out celebrate his birthday with a comedy or with a tragedy. We're gonna just do tragedy because, yeah, of but course, we're doing Macbeth, which I'm actually really excited about because absolutely. Um, I it's one of like it's probably one of my favorite of his tragedies besides Hamlet because I think that's that's the first one I was like really introduced to besides Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. I have no patience for Romeo and Ju- Juliet. <laughs> and I will save that rant for when we another do Romeo epi- and Juliet <laughs> for another episode cuz okay. I will rant about it. Great. But yeah, so since we already talked about the bard in the last um episode, we're going to just like dive right into Macbeth today. Here we go. <laughs> So, Mac, what was your like? What was your first introduction to Macbeth, if you can remember? I think it was. This is gonna sound really stupid. Same Do you remember that episode of Jimmy Neutron? <laughs> no. There's this episode of Jimmy Neutron where, um, they somehow they're doing Macbeth, but they decide to change it up and make it Macbeth in space. I'd and it's <laughs> like. Yeah, it's. I just remember the, the witches and the whole idea of like Macbeth killing the king and becoming the king, and then going crazy because of it, and then being killed about it. So, the first time I actually remember hearing about Macbeth, it was through Jimmy Neutron. But well, short... you gotta get your Shakespeare somewhere. For a second, I thought you said shite. I'm just like, Shakespeare. well, you're getting, well, you're, you're, you're getting into character, getting I into know, the Scottish I character. I can, I just words are hard. This and is true. I feel like we say that every episode. Yeah. But... <laughs> no, but I don't. Honestly, I can't really remember when I first watched or read the play. I think no, actually, I do know my first introduction to it. This is when um, I was literally just like watching everything on YouTube because there were like people who were lovely enough to pirate movies and just put them on there. And I didn't know how to like go into other sites to do that. Anyways, so that's how I got introduced to Shakespeare and Retold, and they had a episode which was based on Macbeth and that's how I got into it and then I was like ooh this is cool beans and then kind of but yeah so transitioning into the play itself its full title is the tragedy of Macbeth and it's one of obviously uh, his tragedies Um, it was thought to have been first performed in like 1606 and it was published in the first folio of 1623 um, possibly from a prompt book, um, which means that it was they they 
basically scholars think that the version of Shakespeare that we know is shorter than what actually what he actually wrote. Um, but since they don't have what he actually wrote, um, they think it's more of like a prompt, um, uh, a version where it's for an indoor performance rather than outdoor. Because yeah. in the first folio, um, in the first folio, there's a lot of notes towards um, like special effect sounds uh, and a lot of different stage direction that would have to be outside, <clears throat> like cannons. You can't really shoot off cannons inside. <laughs> yeah, you really can't. It would be interesting. Very dramatic. I, I, I would, it would I'd pay to see tone. it. it would... I would pay to see that. <laughs> Shooting cannons out of the, from the audience. That's, that's Actually, that's you, the, the next... building would probably collapse around you, so it would be your final ever performance that you saw. But it wouldn't be a bad way to go out. Exactly. That's how I want to die, watching a production and of And then it would make the play even more spoopy because there's the, the myth about it. Spoopy. Um, which we'll probably we'll get into that in a bit. Yeah, yeah. So, so the source of the story is the account of Macbeth, King of Scotland, Macduff and Duncan in Holinshed's Chronicles from around 1587, a history of England, Scotland, and Ireland familiar to Shakespeare and his contemporaries. Although the events in the play differ quite a lot from the history of the real Macbeth. Yeah. So there was a dude who was actually named Macbeth, and he was actually one of. Uh, Scotland's better rulers or one of the he was a successful ruler um for I think about like 10 years or so um that's kind of short but during that time period they weren't like yo he's kind of terrible like in the play where he's insane and he just does not know how to handle power um yeah so in the chronicles uh, a man named Dunwald finds several of his family put to death by his king, King Duff, for dealing with witches. After being pressured in by his wife and four of his servants to kill the king in his own house. Um, in the Chronicles, Macbeth is portrayed as struggling to support the kingdom in the face of Duncan's ineptitude. He and Benqua... I think that's how you pronounce it. I always, like, sometimes... I don't know. Anyways. Meet, uh, so, that dude. Meet the three witches who make exactly the same prophecies as in the Shakespeare version. So, he borrowed things from the Chronicles, which we kind of talked about last episode, where he did borrow heavily from other sources. Um, Macbeth and Banquet, they both plot to murder Duncan at Lady Macbeth's urging. Macbeth has long tenure reign before eventually... Being overthrown by Macduff and Malcolm, um, so yeah, their their parallels between the two are very clear. But yeah, they think that obviously they diverge. Yeah. So, yeah. So the play Macbeth cannot be dated precisely, but it is usually dated around his other tragedies. So they do know for sure that it was performed. Um, in 1606, but they don't really know the exact date of when it was written. Some scholars have placed the original writing of the play as early as 1599, but they kind of just lump them around the the dates of King Lear, Hamlin, and Othello. Yeah. Um, so. Well, yeah, and as the play was was widely seen to celebrate King James's ancestors, because 
the 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 play has a very pro pro England kind of a stance at yeah. the, near the Even end. Even though all the characters themselves were Scottish. <laughs> yes. Um and as well as the Stuart ascension to the throne in 1603 because James believed himself King James believed himself to be descended of Banquo. Most scholars believe that the play is unlikely to have been composed earlier than 1603, as suggested by the Parade of the Eight Kings, which the witches show Macbeth in a vision in Act 4, is a compliment to King James. Many scholars actually think that the, the play was written in 1606 in the aftermath of the gunpowder plot because of the possible intent... intent Oh, words are hard today. Uh, yeah. Internal, Internal allusions to the 1605 plot and its ensuing trials. In fact, there are a great number of allusions and even pieces of evidence that allude to the plot. And because of this, a lot of critics agree that it was written in the year 1606. So, yeah, obviously there are two sides. Some people believe that it was written as early as 1599. Others believe that 1606. So they're just obvious, like as we said before, they just kind of lump them in with some of the other tragedies because they're like, we don't really know, but we can guess, um, much. or like have more of an educated guess. Um, yeah. So his Macbeth is kind of an anomaly among Shakespeare's tragedies in some ways. Um, one that it's short. Uh, <laughs> he wrote long tragedies like it's more than a thousand lines shorter than Othello and King Lear um, and only slightly more than half as long as Hamlet um, and in the backstage it's like yeah so it's it's kind of interesting on its own because of what we have um, going back to them thinking that what what we have access to isn't necessarily the finished final piece. Um, they think it's a shorter condensed version of it. Definitely. And what's in more interesting, um, in the backstage, in, in the world of theater, um, a lot of people believe the play is cursed and they won't mention the title aloud. And so whenever you, whenever there's a production of Macbeth that goes on, most times when you're in the theater, you do not say Macbeth. You say you're like the Scottish play. Yeah. Because one of the many reasons why people think um why why they think the why it's so cursed is because the fact that the witches in the play, which they, they say a lot of lines and say a lot of like curses and, and spells. spells all of those are accurate spells that were taken from real witches at the time well yeah so yeah so or so-called or witches. so-called like yeah. it's not definite but i think that's like that would be cool if if he actually was like yo let me get some black magic shit up in here yeah. like i don't care and um yeah so because uh, there's this belief that he used real witches' spells and angering the witches of the time, causing them to curse the play. So people have reported that spooky shit has gone down if the name is mentioned. And then physical action- injury to actors and yeah. even death to a cast members. Yeah. So, it's pretty crazy. So they think it's an unlucky play. So a lot of actors have this this superstition. Well, there's a huge superstition about it and 
they will go to many lengths to <laughs> like uh, I read somewhere that um one actor what he did to dispel this curse um was to walk outside the the theater like three times spit over his shoulder say an obscenity and then come back and well, no then waited outside the theater to be invited back in and that was supposed to like interesting yeah it's so people had their own little rituals as to like keep the the, the curse at bay but definitely definitely and over the course of the many centuries the play has been put on it's become it's it, it's a staple it's one yeah. of shakespeare's big staples it's like um just playing like any of his big roles like hamlet like any actor who's played hamlet like that's a that's a big role definitely so mick like lord and lady macbeth those are like also seen as l- large career forming roles basically. definitely definitely um and of course, because of that, it's been adapted into film and television, opera. opera. There's an opera by Verde, which I'd love to get into, but this is more about film and TV. TV, and we're we're more kind of, of reaching visual, more no, visual. No. Uh, no, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty opera, visual, yeah. We're focusing Media. on we're focusing on <laughs> we're focusing on plays, on like one play, a couple of movies. Mm-hmm. That's what we're focusing on today. Um. Also, I'm not first in Verde, so I can't really talk about that. But anyway. It is cool that they made an opera. I'd be down to see that. Definitely. Even though I would need subtitles. They do that now for operas. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, you can go like, yeah, you go to like, like I, could, I could be all fancy, but have, like, but read along. I could do that. You could do that. You can go to like one of the Marcus theaters and when they do like their Metropolitan Opera Days. Ooh. It's pretty dope. There. They're a little expensive, but they're kind of dope. <laughs> so, yeah. So, the only eyewitness account of Macbeth in Shakespeare's lifetime was recorded by Simon Foreman, who had seen a performance at the Globe on April 20th, 420, 1610. <laughs> Scholars have also noted discrepancies between what Foreman says that he saw in the play and how it appears on the folio. You want to take that? Yeah, so the folio, as I said, the so yeah, it's thought to be an alter... Uh, alter alteration of the original play so yeah led to the theory that the plays we know is from uh it, from the folio was an adaptation for outdoor performance at the black friars theater which was operated by the kingsmen from 1608 and even speculation that it represents a specific performance before king james but they're really there isn't like solid evidence for that last point. They're just like, you know, maybe. So yeah, so let's get into what Macbeth is about for those who don't really know. Definitely. So, so- we kind of brushed over. So Macbeth, um, when we first get introduced to him, he's a brave Scottish t- general, and he receives a prophecy from a trio of witches that who tell him that one day he will become king of Scotland. That. He one first he's going to get a promotion and then he will one day become king. So this prophecy basically consumes him and he gets super ambitious and is spurred by his wife to um, murder the king who's called Duncan. And his wife, yeah, is one of the larger forces that kind of pushes him over that edge to finally do it. 
and he takes the Scottish throne for himself. He is then like racked with guilt and paranoia and he can't get the murder out of his head. And as time goes on, he's not, I guess he's forced to kind of murder those who are around like his close circle because he doesn't want them to find out that he actually killed that he and his wife um, plotted to kill the king. So he's starting to get rack of a body count and go more and more insane. Also Lady Macbeth is unraveling and he's just becoming a tyrannical ruler and just really shitty at ruling in general. And basically it starts a civil war because King Duncan, uh, King Duncan, before he was murdered, he proclaimed one of his, um, his sons to be the next ruler. But Macbeth was like, nah, I'm going to take the throne. And the other dude can't remember his name runs off to England because you don't see him for most of the play. And then he comes back. Um, yeah. So the war basically, kills Macbeth and Lady Macbeth and finally yeah and they both die in the end because it's a tragedy you it's just, a tragedy everybody dies everyone everyone that is a main character basically dies yeah which happens in most of his uh in most of his tragedies all the main characters die off and then you're left with people that you're like wait so what's your name <laughs> yeah I, I it's I, I just have to see you that um one thing i found was really interesting um i i did a little bit of research in on this is that macbeth is visited by the three witches in the original in the original play yeah there are this is this is significant because whenever in a lot of art in a lot of greek mythology norse mythology most in almost every known sect of mythology there is three of they're like they're, in the Greek fates. mythology, it's the fates, yep. and in um, in Macbeth, it's the three witches, and it's also fun fact to you Harry Potter nerds out there. It's where <laughs> the it's where the rock band in the in the in the universe, the Weird Sisters, gets their name from, because oh, no. they were they're they're referred to in Macbeth as the Weird Sisters at one point. Cool beans dropping some. Harry, Harry Potter, Potter knowledge. <laughs> Way to go, JK. <laughs> so you know your stuff, JK. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so getting into early Macbeth, or at least in adaptations. adaptations. The earliest known version was that was to have existed was from 1908. It is now considered lost. There was also a version in 1915. And there were three other versions up until um, before the sound period. Most of them are considered lost at this point, though, which goes for about half of all silent all movies made before 1950. They're lost. It's sad. Anyway, the one that has a lot of the one that I really th- want to talk about. It's not a film adaptation. It's a play. It, it's a stage adaptation of it, and it was done by Orson Welles. Now, in 1936, he put on Voodoo Macbeth. It was performed at the Lafayette Theater in Harlem, New York. And Orson Welles had directed it at age 20. Damn. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm I'm almost 26. (laughs) What am I doing? Uh, 
Orson, he made Citizen King when he was 25. What am I doing? Fuck him. <laughs> yeah, fuck him, really. No, I love you, Orson. Kenosha. <laughs> Represent. <laughs> um, what, all, what, made, what made it so different was it was an all-black cast with witchcraft being changed to Haitian voodoo and the area being changed from Scotland to an island in the Caribbean. Now, it's something else, and it is, it's not known to be, it's not known as something that's like, it hasn't been like recorded that well, except for the last 10 minutes of the show, which were, which Wells himself filmed for one of his prior project, one of his projects in the, in the early, in the, in the mid 1930s. So... It got it, – it's funny. At one point, it got really bad reviews, especially especially there was controversy from um, these – from communists in Harlem who were afraid that Orson Welles was – was going to was gonna be, do basically a cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. But then when the actual play came out, people were like, oh, no, this is really good. Boy did his research. On top of that, this is one review from Percy Hammond of the Herald Tribune. He was very negative about it, and he accused the actors of being inaudible and timid. In response, one of the African drummers created a voodoo doll of Hammond, stuck pins in it, and encouraged Wells to take responsibility for any torments Hammond suffered as a result. Wells thought this was really funny, until Hammond died shortly after. Spoopy. <laughs> yeah. Damn. So it's been redone. I know that bit. It's been redone a bunch, and it's every time that like they they do Voodoo Macbeth, it's a big thing now, and it's definitely I've never seen it, but it's one of those one of like the the, the ten plays that I need to see before I leave this world alive. So wait, you're gonna leave this world alive? Yes. You're gonna... It's from a Flogging Molly song, okay? Oh, okay. I was going to like pick you apart. I'm like, tell me your plan. I want to know how you will leave this world alive. It'll be exactly the way you don't expect it to be. Very vague. <laughs> like it. Yes. So, Moving on to... Going from, going, from the, going from there, about 13 years later, Orson Welles returned to Macbeth, and this time he made... He made it into a feature. And there are two cuts of it. He made one cut, and he was so destined for accuracy that he gave the key. He actually learned a Scottish dialect or, like, accent. He donned a Scottish accent for the role and had all of the actors and actresses have an accent, which was unheard of at the time. Mm-hmm. By doing this, a lot of when they, when the studio, Republic Pictures, I believe, had looked into it, they all found that when they looked into um, like test screening the film, mm-hmm. it got universally negative reviews. They didn't like it. Americans didn't like it. Of course, Americans wouldn't like something if it's just mildly accented. It's Fuck you, America. <laughs> anyway, so out of fear, Wells bit the bullet and he re- ADR'd the entire film in regular English tone. And then he American had... American English. American English, pretty much. 
<laughs> yeah. So. So then American audiences in the 40s, late 40s, would be more comfortable. Yeah. And <laughs> when it came out, it di- it still didn't get the best reviews, nor did it get the best reaction in America. Overseas, it was big. This was normally a case for Orson Welles because oh, Europe really, Europe really understood like what got his vision and got his scope. Not really it in took America. America a while, and then they're like, "Oh wait, Orson Welles." Yeah. <laughs> so he also did another cut of the film where he cut out about thirteen minutes of it just to make it a lot faster. And that cut. Both of the cuts are, are available now on Blu-ray. There's a beautiful new remastered cut um, that came out when they found one of the old prints with the Scottish um, dub to it mm-hmm. that they thought was gone. And they, they, they thought it was just destroyed in the 50s. But in, in fact, no, they found one print in the 80s and they painstakingly restored it. And that's what one of the cuts that we have now. Parts of it are on YouTube. It's definitely worth checking out because it's it's a lot. It's very dark, very expressionistic. Mm-hmm. Um, he added sequences involving the witches to increase the significance. At the beginning of the film, they they make a clay figure of Macbeth, and it's it's, it's it symbolizes his rise and his ruin. Um, collapses in a heap uh, immediately after he's after he's beheaded, and okay. what. The witches seem to cast a spell on the doll, and anything that happens to it seems to happen also to Macbeth, as in voodoo. The witches are also returned at the end of the film, viewing the drama from afar and uttering, Peace, the charms wound up, as the final line. This line is spoken in the first act in the original text, when the witches initially confront Macbeth. So, this was Orson Welles' quote about the film. My purpose in making Macbeth was not to make a great film. And this is unusual because I think that every film director, even when he is making nonsense, should have as his purpose the making of a great film. How I thought I was making what might be a good film and what, if the 23-day shoot schedule came off, might encourage other filmmakers to tackle difficult subjects at great speed. Unfortunately, not one critic in any part of the world chose to compliment me on the speed. <laughs> they thought... It was a scandal that it should only take 23 days. Of course, they were right. But how I could not write to every one of them and explain that no one would give me any money for a further day's shooting. However, I am not ashamed of the limitations of the picture. He was throwing so much shade. shade. <laughs> but just to imagine that. It's one of... When now, nowadays, it's considered one of the greatest Shakespearean adaptations of all time. Mm. And he only shot it in twenty three freaking days. Damn. That's like near that, 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 like uh, that, that boggles <laughs> my mind. Wow, wow, wow. So I'm going to go into another adaptation that came out about eight years later. This one is Throne of Blood, 19... directed nineteen fifty seven. It was directed by. Akira Kurosawa, one of the greatest Japanese filmmaker of all time, and arguably one of the best filmmakers in general. What he did was he took Macbeth and he set it in feudal Japan. Yeah, he did what Kenneth Bragan should have done, but Kenneth Bragan just was like, 
Oh, as you like it? Yeah, for yeah. as you like it. Because he said it in Feudal Japan, but he fucked it up. Yeah, well, of course. Kurosawa was like, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. So, they also, one of the really important things of it was that he did research into no theater. So. Which was popular in Feudal Japan. Yes. So, in... Feudal Japan. It was uh, there. The, there were there were two different types of theater. There was kabuki theater, and then there was no theater. Mm-hmm. Kabuki theater was when they would paint their faces up for certain expressions. Um, no theater was they had masks that would, and the masks would tell you what the emotion was. Mm-hmm. And as it makes use of the masks, and the evil spirit is seen in different parts of the film. Instead of the three witches, it's this evil spirit. Mm-hmm. And um, it wears faces reminiscent of these masks, starting with the Yesona, or the old lady. Um, and it's it's very, very supernatural and kind of spooky at certain points. Which is kind of a big part of, of this N- Of Macbeth, yeah. With a lot of his tragedies, there is an element of the supernatural. And yeah. I feel like what makes... Macbeth, an interesting play to adapt is because basically what Mac has talked about, like you can adapt it to different cultures because each culture has their own superstitions and um, their own beliefs in the supernatural, but they fit really well with basically the framework of the story because it just it focuses on what happens when your ambition runs rampant and what a conscience can do to you when you've done horrible things. Yes. So one of the best, one of the most well-known scenes of this adaptation is the end. So the death scene, which I'm, I know I'm going to get his, I'm I'm probably going to say the name wrong, but um, his name is, is changed to Washizu in this one. And he's played by Toshiro Mufune, one of, the greatest Japanese actors of all time. So his death scene in which his own arch, his own archers turn upon him. They shoot him with arrows. And this was, he was, it was performed with real arrows. That's not dangerous at all. No, not at all. Um, Just shoot real arrows at this actor. And they were shot by skilled archers. And during the filming, um, Mufune would wave his arms and it would show, um, it would it, how the actor would indicate the direction that he was going to move at. That way, the archers could shoot the other way. That just sounds like a disaster waiting to happen. Like, it is. It is insane because, like, for one, that would never happen nowadays. Which is kind of funny thinking about just how they did, how they saw personal safety in dealing with stunts in the past. But that is that's wild. I did not know that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and um it's just it's it's batshit crazy is just as he's running around totally like paranoid and freaking the fuck out while all these arrows are being shot at him constantly. It's, like, oh! it's, it's, it's insane and it's one of the coolest things I think I've ever seen in, in cinema. It's definitely you know what, it's real in this guy. You know it's real. <laughs> Add, the, the, adding that to it, it just makes it so much more Stressful. <laughs> stressful. Beyond stressful. So, anyway, Throne of Blood, definitely check it out. One of It's one of Kurosawa's best, and it's 
an incredible and it's an incredible adaptation too. Mm-hmm. So, so actually, this one, um, the next Macbeth adaptation we're going to talk about. This one we actually watched together. This was my first time seeing it. Was it your first time? I had seen the first hour before. Okay. Well, um, this one, this version came out in 1971. It was directed by Roman um, Polanski. It was written by Polanski and Kenneth Tyen. Tynan. Tynan, yeah. Um, yeah, so this is a really interesting adaptation because of just, like, the beginning, how it kind of just came to be. So during this time period, Polanski, like, while he was um, – who decided to do this adaptation following um, the highly publicized Manson family murder of his wife, Sharon Tate. Sharon Tate, Tate, yeah. And which is, obviously, there was some controversy about that when the film came out. They were like, dude, like your wife had just died and you're making a a film, a pretty violent film. Um, But due to him trying to get this film off the ground right after the Manson family murders of his, of his wife. Um, he was having a hard time obtaining sponsorship from major studios. So the production was funded by Playboy enterprises. Hugh Hefner, which I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't really do any research into watching it. I wanted to kind of just go in blind and experience the film. And when I saw like, produced by Hugh Hefner. I was like, wait, what the fuck? Like, yeah, it's weird. It's shot. It's a little surprising. Yeah. Like you would never think of those two worlds. Shakespeare classic, like classical drama play colliding with playboy, uh, mansion and all that, all that, all that jazz, all that, that it goes along with Hugh Hefner. So weird tidbit, but yeah, so through Playboy Enterprises, he was able to get this film produced. Um, so one thing that was interesting, they, they filmed in various locations around the British Isles, so not really Scotland, but they were, like, close enough. Um, but they started filming in October 1970. Parts of the film were shot in Wales. Um, a lot of shooting took, it, took place in Northumberland on the northeast coast of England, um, so basically this film was very English. Um, they did have a lot of trouble with, uh, poor weather and the cast complained of Polanski's petulance. Uh, the fight director, William Hobbs likened the long rehearsals in the rain to training for a decathlon. Uh, so basically it was, uh, it was a struggle. Damn. The, the production was kind of a struggle. Um, yeah, so it, Macbeth was screened out of competition at the 1972 Cannes Film Festival um, and was a commercial failure in the U.S. The film bombed at the box office. And according to The Hollywood Reporter, Playboy Enterprises estimated in September 1973 that it would lose $1.8 million on the film and that it would damage the company as a whole. The total losses were $3.5 million. And the losses caused Shakespeare films to appear commercially risky until Kenneth uh, Branagh's uh, direct until he directed Henry V uh, in 1989. So, from 
71 to 89. Like 18 they were, years, yeah. Yeah, they were like, mm, Shakespeare movies? No, that doesn't do well. Yeah. So, so yeah. It took a while for the public to be like on board with Shakespeare. Yeah. And upon release, uh, well, yeah. Upon release, the film was controversial because of its depictions of graphic violence and nudity. It was considered too gory at the time. And take note, this was the same... This was 1971. This was the same year that Stanley Kubrick's The Clockwork Orange came out. Yeah. The same year that Ken Russell's The Devils came out, which is a weird-ass fever dream of violence and disgust and religious atrocity. So, also, like, during that time period... In oh, America, and Straw Dogs. Sam Peck and Paul oh, Straw yeah. Dogs. But during that time in America, too, they were... One, there was Manson. There was a bunch of other serial killers running around. I think America was just, like, sick and tired of violence, honestly. That's, that I think might it was, be a reason. I don't think they were tired. I think it was just a mixture of shock that this was going on. Mm-hmm. And, like, one part was shock of, like, mass media realizing this was going on. And the other part was, like... Lower America kind of realized, no, this stuff's been going on for a, for a long time. And so when cinema, when Hollywood and like just regular cinema took it upon itself to start exploring, exploring it and showing it in a more realistic way, people started to get their feathers ruffled about it. And to, 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 it makes sense. It really does yeah. make sense for the time. Mm-hmm. But like looking back on it, movies like this, movies like Straw Dogs or, well, maybe not Straw Dogs, but like Clockwork Orange even. They're very violent movies, but they're nowhere near as violent as Whoa. some of the stuff that will come in the near future. Yeah. Anyway, so upon the release, the movie got mixed reviews with a lot of negative attention to the violence. In light of the Manson murders, as well as the nudity, and everybody blamed it on Playboy and Hugh Hefner. Um, film critic Pauline Kales wrote the film, reduces Shakespeare's meanings to the banal theme of life is a jungle. Variety staff dismissed the film, writing does Polanski's Macbeth work? Not especially, but it was an admirable try. However, Roger Ebert gave it four stars, writing it was full of sound and fury, and all those noble, tragic Macbeths, Orson Welles, Maurice, and Maurice Evans, and the others look like imposters now, and the king is revealed as a scared kid. Roger Greenspan, writing for the New York Times, said that the, despite gossip about the film, it's neither especially nude nor unnecessarily violent, and that actors John Finch and Francesca Annis gave great performances. Which is like probably the most accurate depiction, I think, of this movie. These I are mean, great. This, this, the play or the, the movie? The movie. Oh. I mean, it's not super violent or as violent as we had been led to believe. Well, I feel like as con- we're from more of a modern audience yeah. looking, so um, it definitely isn't ex- uh, violent or full of nudity as we are used to. Like, honestly, this is tame con- <laughs> compared to like Game of Thrones. Like, just visually, like, yeah. there is violence, and some of it is kind of like. Just like how it's filmed and um, the score and just how they, they build up the violence when Macbeth kills uh, Duncan. And, um, like, you're – with this adaptation especially, I think it's – they did an interesting job of trying to visually show you what they were thinking because a lot of the play is Macbeth and Lady Macbeth um, – 
their inner monologue. Yeah. So they're so you kind of see their process, how they process um, their de- their decision making and the consequences of that decision making, and it kind of leads up to bursts of violence. Yeah. So it's not. It's not like uh, Red Wedding violence. <laughs> it's definitely, like, it's the kind of violence that, like, I personally really like in movies where there's not, it's not, like, constant. It's not gory. It's just, it's just uh, moments it's of, it's moments of really red, really, vi- a lot of red and a lot of violence. But it's, like, a short burst. It's short bursts, of, yeah. Um, anger or, like, you can, s- one thing that I thought, uh, which I really enjoyed about this film, like as an adaptation. Um, yeah, they do. They do show you kind of because sometimes, yeah, like just reading a play, like especially in like Shakespearean English, you're like, what the fuck is going on? Are they talking to somebody else? Are they talking to themselves? Like sometimes yeah. it's hard to follow. But visually, they really he really did play up like. He's an he's young and he's ambitious and so is his wife and they're they're trying to do this the easiest way possible to rise up and yeah. even like the people around them they annoy them or they frustrate them and their first response is to kill so they kind of show that thinking uh so yeah I didn't think it was super violent but I can understand for the time they were like because there's literally oh. One of my favorite bits is when Macbeth goes back to the witches and it's like they're in this cave and it's just a bunch of naked ladies. Um, and he drinks this this potion that they make and it's super psychedelic and just like... And it looks like baby food and... it's And it, baboon's blood! And baboon's blood. That and baboon's cool. blood. I thought it looks like what the water in a porta potty would look like. It was Ugh. disgusting. Yeah, it looked very it, kind. It looked the potion. I on the other. I don't hand, know. It did, it did. It did kind of look like diarrhea with baboon blood. With baboon blood. With baboon blood. But of course, yeah, always comes so back to baboon it, blood. They definitely did some interesting stuff to kind of show what magic, the magic in the world, looked like. Um, but I can understand an audience back then seeing a bunch of like women varying from like twenties to like. 70s all nude and having their bits hang out i could see how people would be scandalized yeah definitely so Us in our new like our game of thrones era we're we're used to seeing all the tits all the tits <laughs> and and even dick and dick yep, wiener, they're, they're wiener, wiener, and... wiener 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 no <laughs> slowly bringing in the dick yeah anyways so, <laughs> so we wouldn't get another Macbeth film for about 34 years. And the next one... Like, there were fr- there was, like, some smaller adaptations. For- 44 years. Let me rephrase that. There was uh, one in 2015, like, uh, as a TV, made for TV. Like, there were smaller things like that, but for, like, a big There was a Pat- there was, there was a, um, like, a BBC version with Patrick Stewart. Mm-hmm. And it was cool because it was set during the Bolshevik Revolution. Oh, yeah. I and forgot about that I think that it's one. the Bolshevik Revolution. I can't... Don't quote me on that, but yeah. There was a national there was a national theater production done with Kenneth Branagh as Macbeth and Alex Kingsden River Song those of you those Doctor Who Who Whovians out there as Lady Macbeth fantastic it's a really cool I used to watch it on YouTube good stuff but like as a we're talking as like a large feature film 
Yes. We didn't get a large feature film version until 2015. And let me just say, when we went to see this, when it came out, I, like, opening credits... And I start punching Mac because I'm super excited. I just like I was. I can. I can. It it, it kind of hurt too. Sorry, I was like. I get phantom pains of that. I was like enraptured with the opening and just like I like I instantly connected with this film. I was like, this is something that I would want to make. So I'm like a little bit of a biased fan. Oh, it's but I was just like trying to not be that obnoxious person by screaming, "This is my shit." So instead, I just like kind of punched Mac in the arm, like "This is my shit." What's really funny about it is that that was the same week Star Wars opened, and it was showing at the same theater. So the night that we all went and saw Star Wars, there was a trailer for Macbeth, and I freaked. <laughs> and my buddy Thomas next to me like thought I was insane. I'm like, "Shut up! You just lost your mind over a fucking Star Wars trailer. Shut up." Give he, me my he, thing. He did. A, he did squeal a bit. He did squeal. He's yeah. a he's a small family. He is a small little nervous hedgehog. <laughs> anyway, so Macbeth from 2015 was directed by Justin Kurtzel. Um, he at that point his bit best known film was something called Snowton Snowtown, which was based on a series of murders in Australia. And apparently, I mean, I have not seen it, but I hear it's it's got it got really good reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on Netflix too, also. So, the screenplay was adapted by Jacob Koskov, Todd Luizzo, and Michael Leslie, and it starred Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard. Now, this is Shakespeare for the Game of Thrones people. Yes, sorry, I'm just like I was that opening the battle scenes. They're, I don't know, like how this is shot. Um, one thing that I read was that the filmmaker's intention throughout this film was to try and portray Macbeth as a victim of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and kind of just have him as a product of war. And so our first introduction to him is on the battlefield. And one thing that I really liked about this version is that, one... um, I feel like it is, it's very fast paced. So whereas the Polanski version, like they give a little bit more of a um, intro into the characters a bit, not necessarily, not an intro to the characters. They, he, he faithfully follows the play. Like there is some divergence, but it is very close to the actual play. This version they kind of introduce. They try and introduce the characters already struggling with their own things mentally, like Lady Macbeth and well, Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. They've both lost. They they lost their son, so we're given that hint, and then we're hit with. They are also during a time of war, so they're also just like stressed and dealing with their own. They're dealing with stuff. Yeah. Um. So it's very much like they immediately just put you in this mindset that this is going to be kind of about their own internal, like, struggles, like, and how they deal with the world around them and the choices that they make within them. And you're you're shown right away that they're not necessarily on sure footing at the moment because they're dealing with a lot. So Yeah. 
So and it's just so pretty. It <laughs> is. The visuals are incredible. Yeah. It was selected to complete for the Palme d'Or, the 2015 Cannes Film Festival. It received generally positive reviews from critics and a lot of praise for Fassbender's performance as well as from the rest of the cast, the visual style, the script, the direction, and especially the war sequences, mm-hmm. which a lot of them were shot at the special um, high frame high frame rate so they could be really slow and yeah it's uh it's kind of like uh they're not necessarily trying to portray like a real medieval battle it's more focused on uh, i guess how macbeth um sees what's happening around him because it, it, it's like slowed down so you're kind of taken in with just like yeah. The brutality that's happening. Definitely. And despite the positive critical reaction it got, it was a commercial failure. It lost about $4 million. It grossed $16 million, um, But the production was, was $20 million. Like, yeah. That doesn't even include the amount that went into marketing. And as I recall, there was not a lot. I think part of that was they made the mistake of opening the same weekend as Star Wars. Yeah, that's just... Not I mean, even even though it was an art house film and it was made really for an art house crowd, it still was the worst time to release it. It, it would have done so much better if they released it in like October or even yeah. like early November. I think it would have done a hell of a lot better. But anyway, principal photography took over took place uh, over seven weeks in England and Scotland, beginning on February sixth, twenty fourteen. Yeah. So most one thing I, I I thought was interesting about this film was that they did shoot a vast majority of it in Scotland. Um, and the portions that they did shoot in England, they shot some of it where Roman Polanski shot his version, his adaptation of, um, uh, really? Yeah. Um, uh, they're the castle, the, the castle, they use the same castle. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. It starts with a B. Okay. Um, but, why, but seeing the two versions, you couldn't tell it's the same castle, so it's really interesting. Yeah. That, like, stylistically, they're very different. Polanski's version is, like, has the look, except for, for some exceptions, when it gets to the witches and the magic and um, and that. It has kind of that look of what you would consider uh, what a Shakespeare adaptation would look like. They're mm-hmm. dressed very, uh, dressed in very, I guess, typical what we would assume typical medieval dresses. Yeah, the, the yeah sets definitely. Are very Without typical. Um, whereas this version, everything's very stripped down. It's very dark and cold. And very, it's, I, I want to say muddy, because the entire, like, the opening <laughs> bat, that's the only, that's, that's the word that just comes to mind, is just mud. Mm-hmm. Because, like, the opening fight scene, there's so much mud and blood and, and and where's the other like Polanski's version his characters are very clean looking besides when yeah. they're covered in blood from killing somebody yeah pretty much whereas in this version they look constantly miserable because the landscape like looks miserable it looks miserable cuz they one they started shooting this in February in Scotland yeah so it's not the sunniest time of year over there. No. <laughs> so and you can definitely feel how cold yeah. and bare the lands- um, this world must feel because the landscape reflects that. Definitely. Yeah. Doubt. One thing that I really liked about this, about this adaptation, was that it adds 
some things in the beginning with with no dialogue. So it's not like it's committing the ultimate crime of going against what Shakespeare wrote. Yeah. Where it shows um, Macbeth and Lady Macbeth had a child. Yeah. And that the child died, and that sort of helps with the helps explain a lot of the PTSD, as well as some of the trauma that's going through the minds of Mister and Missus Macbeth. Yeah. And definitely to the point where like it 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 paints Lady Macbeth in a lot more sympathetic in a more sympathetic approach whereas yeah in the past she's very much like in Polanski's version of her uh she basically just straight up comes off as like her character is manipulative Mm -hmm. and beyond that nothing else whereas in this version they kind of give her a little bit more of a backstory they give her a reason to like be ambitious there. She's like, there's nothing. I don't have anything else in my life besides you. Yeah. And like, yo, let's totally be King and queen. Also, this is the first version where she uses sex as a way to manipulate in all the other adaptations. It's, it's always been suggested, suggested sort of in... But pol- not necessarily, like, outright. Yeah. And this one, it's outright. They are fucking. And... <laughs> she uses her pussy power. Pussy power! <laughs> activated. Yeah. And, of course, and, and they're reciting lines while this is happening. It's, like, weird, to where you're, like, they're talking old-timey, but it's very, like, HBO sexy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Except for Never mind, because in HBO they would have their clothes off. They have their clothes on for most. And there would be boobs. Oh my god! But there's not. I'm referring. <laughs> I know what you're referring. <laughs> you know exactly what I'm referencing. <laughs> oh boy. So yeah, and it's another really good thing about it is near the very end, where it's the final battle, where everything is this red tinted and yeah, it's it's very this film is very stylized compared to some other it like visually it's stylized differently than a lot of other adaptations yeah. and at the end when macbeth is killed instead of who who kills him again i, I can't remember the name oh my god they they all have names starting with d and right now i'm spacing it's an uh mcduff no McDuff is dead, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he he kills McDuff. It's, yeah. It's the other one. McDuff's the... McDuff, McDuff... Uh, words are hard. So basically, McDuff is was his friend, but then he's like, yo, McDuff... Doesn't McDuff run off? And then uh, Mac, Macbeth... <laughs> I swear, guys, we've done research on we've this. We've done the research. <laughs> they, like... Yeah, never mind. I remember. So, yeah. Uh, basically, Macbeth has Macduff's family. Uh, That's right. Yeah, he kills he kills Macduff because he's like Macduff knows, and then Macduff's son runs away, and then um, he kills the rest of his family. Then there's that other the other dude that doesn't die. Duncan, no, wrong one. Malcolm. Malcolm. Damn it. <laughs> I was thinking the wrong. Anyway. Malcolm. Yeah, Malcolm. He runs off with the other dude, with the prince, to England, and his family is rounded up and killed by the Macbeths. Yes. And so he comes back with a vengeance. And in the play, he beheads Macbeth. 
but in this film, basically they do a one-on-one battle and he just like kind of pokes him full of holes and just leaves him there. Yeah. It just be and like, fucking what, die at your own time. What's also another really interesting aspect is that at the end of the, at the end, after Macbeth is killed, mm-hmm. um, a young a child grabs the sword from him, from his hand and just walks off into the black, into the red mist, which makes this more into this. Whereas in the original play, Jesus Christ. There, well, there are people running. Yeah. It sounded like somebody fell over upstairs. Anyway, <laughs> um, in the original play where there's there's hope because there's the theory that um, England's going to prevail over Scotland. Mm-hmm. In this one, it's, there's no hope. Yeah. It's right. just it's, – it's, 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 it's referenced that there's going to be a cycle and that like the cycle – continues to go around as a child has the sword a child will i saw one thing though that that suggested that the child might be um mcduff's kid who ran away that's a possibility um, too and though it's not shown that he's beheaded uh not the child but (laughs) Macbeth. it's uh it could be I guess glean that the child, the the kid, takes the sword, and eventually goes back to take revenge. Yeah, but also during this time, like Lady, you see both characters kind of go on different paths. Lady Macbeth, she's kind of holding it together for the most part because Macbeth, like immediately, is just like, "I'm going insane right now," and she's like, holds it together, and then she can't hold it together for him and she starts losing it herself. And so they bring back her child and she has her final speech. Um, and she's like looking at her dead child and just basically like, I'm going to die now. And so they kind of bring back, they kind of give it back to that. Whereas in the play and it's just, she has this, um, she starts believing that she still has spots of blood on her hand, and then she's she's just washing her washing hand. her because you can't get the blood and off your hands. And then she just starts spiraling from there, and then kills herself. She sleepwalks, and yeah, it's 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 nuts. It was so. cool because I didn't realize that's where we get the idea like the blood is on your hands. That's where that whole phrase comes from. Yeah, you can't wash the blood off your hands. It, it's it's really great. So we're gonna talk about one last adaptation, and Selena. This is all you. Yeah, this, this is, is your this, shit. Because this is my intro to Macbeth. Um, I thought it was one of note because it is kind of like what I talked about um, in the last episode with Much Ado About Nothing. It's still Shakespeare retold. Um, and so it came out with that series, and they're all set in contemporary times. So this one is set in contemporary uh, Glasgow. And... It's one is directed by Mark Brazel, written by Peter Moffat. It starred James McVoy, uh, Keely Hawes as the Macbeths, and Richard Armitage was in it. He was Ooh. Macduff. Um, a lot of other like British actors because you know they all have a tiny little pool that they. Wow, Thor and Oakenshield. Wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So the it's set in a Michelin, a three uh, star Michelin uh, restaurant owned by a celebrity chef, Duncan um, King. And 
Then Joe Macbeth, James McVoy, uh, he's the sous chef, and his wife, Ella Macbeth, is the maitre d'. The that's like the the host, basically. Okay. The, yeah. Then yeah. So they're all in the the restaurant business, and so they play off this idea of the rest like. Uh, Michelin star, like the free Michelin star, like cutthroat world of cooking. So, um, Joe and his fellow chef, Billy Banquois, um, are annoyed that Duncan takes the credit for all of Joe's work and that Duncan's son, Malcolm has no real, like has no in their opinion, no real flair for the business. So when they encounter three supernatural, supernatural bin men in place of, yeah, so it's really interesting, like because that's how it kind of opens up is where you're introduced to the the three witches who are basically three old old men who are um, garbage collectors. They they're kind of spitting out their their prophecy, and it's almost it's kind of like in Shakespearean English, um, and they predict that Macbeth will get ownership of the restaurant, and as with Billy's. T- children joe and eleanor are are inspired to kill duncan but the bin men subsequently warned that Macbeth should be wary of peter mcduff who is richard armhead the head waiter so it does it still follows the storyline um Macbeth kills people with his knives that he Uh. has it's really it's really interesting and um the actors, they, I thought they all did a fantastic job. James Boy as Macbeth is really interesting because it is set in Scotland. And I don't know. It's just an interest. It, like, if you wanted a more contemporary, something easy to, to kind of get into the story, it would be a good start and then kind of work your way backwards if, if you're not super comfortable with Shakespeare. Yeah. Great. Right. Well, okay. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, so, I, I recommend it. It's actually on YouTube right now. Really? Okay. Yeah, I saw. I was kind of like looking it up, and I saw that it was that some human decided to put it on there. So good human. So, in conclusion, what do we like about Macbeth? What is it that we just can't get enough of it? We can't get enough of. A story that we know how it's going to end. <laughs> that we know what's going to happen. We, Why do we keep coming back to it? I think it, it's really interesting to explore, like, to see characters make terrible decisions and are kind of just terrible people and just see, just kind of pick apart the inner workings of the mind as to why. And Macbeth, that's kind of the f- focus of the whole play is just the inner workings of these people's mind when ambition takes over and they kind of get to a point of no return and what happens when your conscience takes over. So you like what happens when you lose your conscience and then what happens when you can't live with what you've done. I think it has a lot. What I like about it is that it's so, it's so covered in faith and fate it's so like it's so based around the idea of fate and how no matter what you do you will always 
fate always wins. Fate never, fate never is proven wrong. You like, and and the whole like theory that, the whole theory that what is told at the beginning of the play is exactly how it's going to end. Yeah, and watching as that gets, watching as that takes root and spreads out and creates um, all of this this mishmash of violence, of authority, mm-hmm. of madness and magic mm-hmm. just gets me. And it just makes it so much more powerful to watch and so and, and especially for how dark it is. It is I don't know. I, I do I do love his comedies. They're fun, but they're very formulaic. I feel like his tragedies are... I feel like that's kind of where the... I don't know, like his skills as a storyteller, like Shakespeare's skills as a storyteller, that's kind of where they shine the most are his tragedies. Yeah. Because the characters, you get such a... Like how they're written, you get such a window into their minds. Um, Yeah. And the thing that I find interesting, another thing I find interesting about Macbeth is that, yes, fate has a huge part to play with it, but what happens when someone tells you, oh, you will be king, um, and they kind of give him warnings, but he he basically, he could have made the decision to be like, ah, never mind, I'll just be the fan of Cordor, and just be cool with that, but, like, what happened, like, that decision, he decided that he was going to ultimately kill King Duncan. Yeah. Cool stuff, people. I'm all about that psychological shit. Definitely. And it's spoopy. So, what's your favorite adaptation? Ooh. I I have to go with the 2015 version. Like, just visually. It's the most aesthetically pleasing yeah. version. It fits. It's not necessarily true word for word like yes the it's the writing like the dialogue is adapted from the original dialogue they've obviously cut things out because it's not word for word but just visually and the pacing um i i don't know i just i i really connected to it visually and how it felt uh, raw and natural, whereas a lot of a lot of um, adaptations that I've seen of Shakespeare in uh, plays, they feel like they took it from the stage and just put it in a location. Definitely, whereas this feels more like its own standalone With, film. Oh gosh, yes, yes, and, that's... and also it's like low key, kind of like what I'd like to make. <laughs> I would say, I would say that um, not, the to- not like specifically that, but just like of the style, I really I I gravitate to that style. I would say that Orson Welles's version from 19, 1948 is pretty is like the twenty fifteen version is pretty is is close to the 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 forty eight version mm-hmm. in how it was designed, and it's all dark and moody and gritty. So for me, it's between those two. Um, that being said, after everything I've heard, Voodoo Macbeth seems like I would a near see that. perfect, a, a near perfect, like I perfect re- adaptation where it is taken 
and putting in a completely new mm-hmm. culture and sense. For even in that matter, Throne of Blood is still fantastic. I don't know. It's kind of like everything is fantastic. <laughs> like we can't really say that there. This was a bad version. Like when it comes with when it comes to some of other classics that we've talked about, where it's like, yeah, yeah. that adaptation was trash. Like a lot of when it comes to Shakespeare, like. A lot of the film adaptations, they didn't really fuck it up. No. So, yeah. So, why do you think people should care more about Shakespeare or and even more why we should care about Much Ado and why we should care about Macbeth? I just think the stories are very, I don't know, like, one, he's such a, like, everybody knows to some extent, who Shakespeare is. But his stories, I feel like they're, like, they're still very relatable because a lot of them focus on the human condition. Mm-hmm. So you can't really, I don't think they ever really get old because we're still exploring the same questions. We Definitely. just say it in a different way. And sometimes it it's not as easy <laughs> to read <laughs> as we're yeah. used to now. But... It's it's interesting to see how they explore the same issues as we s- explore now. Yes. So. I noticed that I've been saying definitely a lot this episode, so sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> but I would say it's important because I think Shakespeare is one of the best um, playwrights who could perfectly show different genres and what you can do with them. Macbeth can be seen as a bit as as a horror story in some in some cases. It could be kind of seen as a gothic horror. Of course the same for same for Titus Andronicus, but oh we're my. getting we're going to get into that hopefully sometime very soon. That's I I have yet to read that one, but I'm excited to. Ooh. The only bit that I know about it is from what I've seen from the reduced Shakespeare players, which we keep forgetting to talk about. But we'll talk about that some other we'll day. We'll talk about that some other time. They're a fun so, trio. Who've made some abridged versions of Shakespeare? Yes, and they're quite amazing. They're they're hilarious. So, but so yeah, that's my only introduction to Titus Andronicus. But all right. Yeah. So, thank you everyone for joining us for Shakespeare Month. We had a blast. We got to geek out. It was fantastic. We got for to. Us. Hopefully, it was good for you guys. Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> so, we'll be back with we will we'll be back in three weeks, and we will have. A new Some... exciting adaptation for you yep. guys. To... And do we know what it is yet? Nope. We're, we're going to find there. out. We're getting there. <laughs> we're making it up as we go along, people. Yeah, so thanks for listening. And until next time, this has been Time, time to Adapt. adapt.